Thank you so much, Ashley, um, for that kind introduction. <clears throat> I am uh, very happy to be here today, very happy to see familiar old faces and familiar young faces and some brand new faces to me. So please, by all means, introduce yourself to me during the breaks. I'd love to get to know you. And Ashley, I'm very proud of you and very thankful for what God is doing here at this church and how you are uh, wonderfully leading the women's ministry and a great example to all. So thank you. Uh, we have the privilege of being together for three sessions, so hopefully you will not tire of my voice today, and I will do my best to keep you engaged, but we depend on the Holy Spirit to do that, and so I want to pray for us now that God will let me say the words that I'm supposed to say this morning and hold back any words I should not say, and that he would open our minds and our ears, our hearts to hear what he would have to say to us today. So let pray with me, if you will. Father, thank you for this dear church and the ladies that are visiting this church today. I pray for all of us that we would have open ears and open hearts and that we would be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit of God. We pray for all of us that you would convict us where necessary, and especially as we discuss this first lesson on faithfulness. God, show us areas where we are not being faithful as we should, where we could improve. Show us ways we could serve better. Show us ways we could serve in different areas. Help us, Lord, to look to our faithful God and be faithful in our own lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So, most of you are not old enough to know the Bob Dylan song, The Times They Are A-Changing. And if you have your handouts, which are in your folder, that is so lovely for us today, open that up. You will see the handouts. Please feel free to take notes. That will help you. And basic outlines, not, not complicated at all, but we will just read today. If it's not on your sheet as far as the reference, you might want to make note of that, but a lot of the scriptures that I will read are already referenced on your handouts throughout the day. Back to Bob Dylan. I wasn't a huge fan. I, this song was written in 1964, so unfortunately I should be old enough to remember it, but wasn't a huge fan. However, it is such an appropriate title for our lesson today, The Times They Are A-Changing. And I don't mean just our political climate or technology or social norms, yes, we know that all of that is changing. It has changed drastically over the decades and will continue to do so. But I'm talking about the fluctuating seasons and stages of our lives as Christians, Christian women specifically today, and how we want to remain faithful in each of these changing seasons. To be faithful means to be loyal and constant and steadfast. So we're going to be looking at how we can be that in the various seasons of our lives. Speaking of songs, what about the song Turn, Turn, Turn by the Birds in 1965? You say, I'm, you're, you're, you're still way back there. I don't know that. But I bet you do if you think. It, it's to everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season, turn, turn, turn. And it comes straight from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 8. That'll be our springboard passage for this. 
And you will see that you really do know that song because it comes straight from these verses. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. So you see from this passage, there is a set determined time for all of these things that is carried out in the wisdom and providence of God according to his purposes. And with that in mind, look at your outline. The first point is the longest, so don't get worried. Number one, Roman numeral one, know what time it is. Know what time it is. In other words, what season of life are you in currently? So in thinking of that passage, maybe you'll say, well, I'm in one of those seasons right now, literally. But I'm thinking more along the lines of, are you a teenager? Are you a college or grad school student? Have you started your career? Are you an empty nester? Are you a mother or a grandmother? Are you homeschooling? Are you a wife? Are you a widow? Are you single? Are you retired? Are you living with chronic illness and pain? Are you a caregiver for a special needs child or elderly parent? And the list could continue. Obviously, there's going to be overlap in these areas of our lives. We're not just in one category always. We will be in multiple categories throughout our lives. But there are probably primary ones guiding you right now, guiding your decisions, taking most of your time and energy. So I want you to identify those that consume you the most right now. What would be those areas? The way you redeem the time and make most of every opportunity is going to vary from season to season. So these seasons need to be lived in context. In other words, know what time it is. So let me explain a bit. 30 plus years ago, I was working a full-time job putting my husband through seminary. 20 plus years ago, I was a pastor's wife and a stay-at-home mom of four small children. Ten plus years ago, I had already sent two of my, my two oldest off to college and had the two others at home planning their birthday parties and homeschooling them. Now, I love planning my grandchildren's birthday parties. <laughs> I'm still the wife of a pastor and the mother of four adult kids, and I have an elderly mom a thousand miles away, and I'm an only child, and I worry about her. You get the point. Our lives are constantly changing, and even though most of you are not as old as I am, you can trace something like that through your life, the thread of your life through the various seasons and stations. I think it's important to point out that our identity is not found in these seasons. Ladies, if you know Jesus, if you are saved, if you are a Christian, your identity is in Christ. Not in the fact that you're a grandmother, although that is my favorite job right now. My identity, I am a grandmother, but I am, my identity is found in Christ. The seasons of our lives should not be what define us, but faithfulness to the Lord in these seasons is what should define us. I want to repeat that. 
The seasons should not be what define us, but our faithfulness to the Lord in those various seasons should be what defines us. Yes, we are classified as certain things for certain purposes, but we should not necessarily let that dictate what we do and don't do or what we can and can't do. So the question is, what has God called you to do now in this season of life? What does faithfulness in this season of your life look like? It's going to look different for every season, but we must appreciate all of it and take advantage of and be content in each season. We must understand that God has ordained each season, and under divine providence, there's a time for everything, just as Ecclesiastes says. And just as Mordecai tells Esther, back in Esther chapter 4, verse 14, he says to her, perhaps you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So remember, ladies, you are where you are for such a time as this. So let's flesh this out. Not only do we need to identify where we are currently, we need to evaluate what our capacity and gifting is, and then we need to serve with great enthusiasm and joy with the right gospel motivation in our respective stations of life. So, Rome, uh, letter A on your outline, faithful characteristics. I want to go through some Bible verses to show what faithfulness looks like in just a few stations of life. There is no way we could stay we could say all day, no way we could cover all the various categories that might possibly be represented here and what that would look like to be faithful. So I just took a sampling from the Word of God to say, here's what faithfulness looks like in these different areas. First of all, being faithful as a friend or a Christian sister. You know, some of you will get to the wife section or the parenting section and will say, well, I'm not one of those. I'm not, I'm not there but we all are friends, or I hope we are, and we all have friends. So what does faithfulness as a Christian sister or a friend look like? Do we hang out only for social activities? Are we good and faithful friends? Do we use our friends to benefit us in some way? If so, that's not being a faithful friend or sister. Several years ago, some ladies in our church read the book, Closer Than a Sister by Christina Fox. And I love how she describes what our friendships sh should look like. Let me read a couple of paragraphs from that. The fellowship described in the New Testament goes deeper than chatting over a cup of coffee. It's more than talking about the latest remarkable thing that our child did with other ladies before Tuesday morning Bible study begins. And it's far more than leaving a comment on someone's status update on social media, no matter how spiritual that comment might be. The fellowship that the Bible describes in Acts is that of sharing a common life together. Sharing a common life together is not about doing activities, but about sharing life, spiritual life. It's about serving together, helping each other through trials, lifting each other up when we fall, praying for one another, urging one another on in the faith, and ultimately it is reflecting Christ in our love for one another, imaging him to the fallen world around us. That is so true, ladies, and so sweet, and maybe it's convicting to us today. Do your friendships look like that? What does the Bible say a faithful friend is like? You have these listed in your notes. A faithful friend loves, Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times. 
A friend is wise, Proverbs 13, 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And, you know, we say this a lot of times to the younger people, which we should, but sometimes I think us old folks need to hear that just as much. Watch your companions. Are you surrounding yourself with people who are fools, or are you walking with the wise? A faithful friend refreshes the soul, Proverbs 27, 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. You know something that I am guilty of? I look for people that are going to give me what I want to hear. I'm going to run to those people that I know are going to give me the advice that will ease my pain or the thing that I want them to do, that, that, that I want to do at that moment. I want to hear that from them, not some kind of harder counsel or biblical advice or counsel, but that's what we need. We need a friend who's going to give us earnest counsel, and it might be saying the hard stuff, but that's a faithful friend. A faithful friend is reliable, Proverbs 18.24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The loyalty and reliability of a true friend, that is special. That's what faithfulness and friendship looks like. How about rebukes? Proverbs 27, 5 through 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. It stings, doesn't it, sometimes? I know when someone's come to me with something and I want to bristle up and say, well, that's, I, you might not like that, but I, it's fine that I did that. But when I really settle down and look at the word of God and really start examining my heart and my motives, wow, even though that rebuke is a little bit of a sting, it serves to cause me to be sanctified and more holy because they're telling me truth. So a faithful friend rebukes. So I ask you, sisters, are you a faithful friend in Christ? Are you a faithful sister to those in your churches? Secondly, here are a few characteristics of a faithful wife. A faithful wife is one who loves and honors her husband. In other words, she makes him look good. Proverbs 31, 11, and 12. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Those, those words right there enter my head a lot. Are you doing your husband good? And you say, well, you don't know my husband. It's really hard to do him good. He really... He really messes up and all these negative things you could say about him. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to make our husbands look good. Not buying the, buy him the latest fashions, although it's fun to change the way your husband looks if you think he needs to step into this century in his fashion. But that's not what it's talking about. Don't tear your husband down. A faithful wife. Look, he is a sinner just like you are, and he may be a big sinner. But you need to... In front of people, you need to make your husband look good. I don't mean cover up some gross sin. I mean not be nagging and nitpicky and say negative things about your husband to other people. You need to be your husband's biggest fan. And I would encourage all of us to take that to heart. Are you trying to undermine his decisions and authority? Do you speak badly about him to others? Let's do what we can to cheer him on and help him succeed instead. A faithful wife submits to her husband. Colossians 3.18, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. 
A faithful wife is humble and selfless, Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. These last two points, I just want to tie them to the gospel. I would never want to stand here and say, this is a list of to do, to do, to do, and you've got to carry this out and sound very legalistic about this because that's not what it is. This is tied to the gospel. Why are we to be humble and think of others above ourselves? Because of what it says in the rest of Philippians 2, that Christ humbled himself and came to earth and gave himself for us. He humbled himself even to death, the death on the cross. We want to be like Christ. We want to look to the cross for our motivation. Why are we to submit to our husbands? Not just because God said it, but it's tied to the gospel. Just as Christ went to the cross and humbled himself and put his will out of the way and put his father's will above, he humbled himself and submitted to the will of his father. We, it says, therefore, wives, submit to your own husband. Likewise, likewise, in the same way Christ did, went to the cross, we are to submit to our husbands. Don't ever take it away from the gospel because if you, if, you, if you separate it from the gospel, it's nothing more than us spinning our wheels in legalism. Always be grounded in the gospel. A faithful wife manages her home well. Titus 2.5 says to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. Proverbs 31:27 She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Wives, it's ultimately your responsibility to keep your keep order in your home. I did not say it's your responsibility to do all the work. Your husband should absolutely pitch in and do work as well. Especially if you are both working, he should really pitch in and do the work. But you, as the wife, need to have a plan, and you need to execute it well. You need to be sure that the laundry can get done so you all have to have, some, have something to wear to church on Sunday morning and something to wear to school and work during the week. You may say, you know, how am I going to cook dinner when I get home at 6 o'clock every night? I don't know, but you need to figure out a plan. I, there's about 20 crock pots plugged in downstairs that would give you your first hint. Use that thing. But you need to be managing your household well. Don't be lazy. Get organized and manage your time. A faithful church member. What does faithfulness look like in a church member? They assemble regularly. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Ladies, it's not just a command from the Lord. It is to encourage and build up. Do you know how encouraging it is when I see a church member there that I know may be going through a tough time, but that encourages me to know that she is faithful to come. Or maybe I'm going through something tough, and because somebody else came to church that day and spoke to me and hugged me and prayed with me, I was encouraged but if we hadn't been there, that would not have happened. We are to be mutually building each other up. And one way to do that is to assemble regularly together. Use your gifts and talents to serve the body. 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. There are lots of talented, gifted people in your church. 
and your church is. God has put us all together. We all have different gifts, and it's a blessing when you see those gifts being used to serve the church. So what does a faithful church member look like? Using your gifts and talents to serve the church. It's great to volunteer out in different agencies or in the community and helping in some way. But where you should primarily be using those gifts and talents is in your church. A faithful church member promotes unity, Ephesians 4, 3, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. What does this mean, ladies? Don't be a gossip. We're going to have an entire lesson later this afternoon about the unity of the church. This is hugely important. Psalm 133.1 says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Don't be divisive. Be eager, Ephesians 4.3 says. Eager, not just, hey, maintain this unity, guys. No, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I always use... Marion Hewer as my example right here. For those of you who know Marion, who don't know Marion Hewer, she was a member, and I say was because she just left a couple of months ago. She was a member at North Shore Baptist Church a year and a half or more before we ever got there. And she and her husband and their little son, Adam, and then their family grew and our family grew, and Ron and Marion just moved to New Zealand where she is from. Uh, a couple of months ago. So we miss them greatly. But you want me to tell you something about Marion Hewer? She was a faithful church member, not just because she did all the showers for the ladies getting married and having babies, not because she was there all the time, not because she did this or that. She was a faithful church member in this way. She did all of that, but she promoted unity. When we went to North Shore Baptist Church in 1992, in July of 1992, there were some ladies in the church that began to grumble and complain, and they were gossips, and they started talking about, I don't like this new pastor. I think he's this or he's that. And it's tough when you're coming in as the new guy, and all of a sudden you've got a group of women that are do 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 And you know what? Marion was friends with them, and they went to her to engage her in this conversation. And she said, she stood her ground, and she's, if you knew her, she is very, very mild and very meek and very quiet. And she very graciously said to them, I will have no part of this. This is wrong, and you need to stop now. Those ladies eventually left the church. God took them out, thankfully. But Marion Hewer was a very quiet woman who promoted unity in the body. Ladies, be that. When you hear gossip or divisiveness arising, stop it. Nip it in the bud and get rid of it. Do not take part in it. Be a faithful church member. A faithful church member loves sound doctrine. Colossians 2.8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according, according to Christ. How are you going to be able to identify false doctrine so you can be that faithful church member? How? By knowing sound doctrine and by knowing truth, by knowing the word. Thy word is truth. Know your Bibles. Know sound doctrine so that when something comes out that is not sound, you immediately can detect it. 
What about a faithful mother? What, do, what characteristics does a faithful mother have? She teaches her children the things of God. I love this scripture. Psalm 78, 4, and then verses 6 through 7 say, We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Ladies, you want to be a faithful church, I mean a faithful mother, pass on to the next generation. Wouldn't it be wonderful when you are long gone in the grave that generations down the road, because of the faithful great-great-grandmother they had, these children know the Lord and all the glorious uh, stories from the word and the truths of scripture because you were a faithful mother teaching your children the things of God. What else does a faithful mother do? She disciplines her children. Proverbs 29, 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom. The rod and reproof give wisdom. But a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. I would just, we're not going to camp out on this, but I would say, ladies, there is so much in our society against biblical discipline today and years ago. I would say make sure you know what the Bible says about disciplining your children and do that. There are excellent books out there. You could ask uh, your pastors, your elders, your elders' wives for recommendations on that. But a faithful mother disciplines her children. A faithful mother loves and cares for her children, Titus 2, 4. And so train the young women, this is for the older women, train the young women to love their husband and their children. Sounds pretty simple, doesn't, doesn't it? But sometimes we forget that we are there to love them. Love your children. Care for them. And finally, let's look at the category of faithfulness as an elderly person. Psalm 71 17 through 18 says, Oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. There are a few ladies in our church that have limitations due to uh, either their age or a chronic illness or a pain. And I've watched them over the years have to back off from serving in the ways that they loved. But rather than giving up and growing bitter, they have adapted to the season of life that they are in by finding different ways to bless others and glorify God. And they are some of the most faithful people I know. Being faithful as an older person. I want to tell you about Ed's Aunt Florney, my husband's aunt. In her nursing home bed with no TV, with no phone, immobile for months and really years spent that way, rarely had visitors. What do you do all day, Aunt Florney? I just pray. But do you know why she was faithful in prayer in that season of her life? Because she was faithful in prayer before she was ever bedridden. It was not an afterthought. It was not uh, it's the only thing left that I can do now that I'm old. By process of elimination, I'm just going to you know, do it as a Christian who's confined to a nursing home bed. She didn't just pick up the discipline of prayer the day she was admitted to the Dubois nursing home. She was a prayer warrior for the entirety of her Christian life. 
She was saved maybe in her 40s, and from that day forward, she was a prayer warrior. She's the one that everyone in the family called at any time, night or day, did not matter when, she would pick up that landline right by her bed that was ringing off the hook, and she would drop to her knees and pray immediately for whatever request was in front of her. It was just a no-brainer. It was natural for her, and she was faithful to the end because she had regularly practiced being faithful in that discipline. When she was able, she was a faithful church member and attender. She taught Sunday school. She served in various capacities. And she obviously became unable to do that as the years passed and she got older, weaker. She had to care for her very sick husband. She was faithful. She began doing less and less because of that. But she was never bitter toward the Lord or envious of others who could still do those things. Did anyone ever consider Aunt Florney not to be faithful? Like, you're just unfaithful in that season? Of course not. She was faithful in her Bible reading until she couldn't see any longer. She was faithful in prayer until the Lord took her mind. She was faithful until he took her home. And when she entered his presence, I know that she heard, Well done, good and faithful servant. Ladies, whatever faithful you're, whatever season you're in, be faithful. And please understand, whatever you're doing now, and hopefully it's the right thing, and you are being faithful, that's what's preparing you for the next season. So make sure you're faithful now, so you're prepared for the next season in life. Because Aunt Florney certainly was. A couple of warnings before we move on. I want to give... Just no particular order, some assorted words of wisdom or warning or whatever you want to say to those who may be struggling with doing too much or too little. You say, well, I want to be faithful, but I, I feel, really feel burned out in this or in this area. Let me give you a few things. Whatever season in which you find yourself, whatever your limitations, you must, must be faithful in your Bible reading, Bible study, and prayer. These are non-negotiables, just like with Aunt Florney, just do these things. Whether you are doing or can do anything else, at the least, you must be faithful in the word and prayer. You will have a lot of limitations. You might not be able to do anything beyond that, and that's okay. You must be faithful in the word and prayer. Don't serve out of guilt. Let me tell you, you are looking at one that is so guilty of this, just serving out of guilt. But serve with gospel motivation instead. Serve with grace and by grace, making sure you are doing what God wants you to do. Along those same lines, don't make people feel guilty if they can't serve. <laughs> you may want them and you think you need them and you think they need to serve in that ministry, but God might not think so. So don't make them feel guilty about it. And for those of you who are sitting there right now saying, amen, you tell them, sister. You tell them to quit guilting me. Perhaps the next warning is for you. Don't not do stuff just because you don't feel like it. Get a grip. Be disciplined. Don't be lazy. Don't live by your feelings. And don't make excuses. I think we can gather by Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane as he was hours away from the cross. 
He wasn't really proceeding because he felt like it. What does he say as he sweats great drops of blood? My soul is very sorrowful. My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Sometimes, ladies, you're just not going to feel like it. But do it and be faithful with Christ as your example. Don't think this. Don't think, you know what, I'm just going to adjust or it'll look different whenever I enter another season, a different season in life. Because a wise person once told me, listen carefully, if you are not faithful and you're not in the habit of serving before you have children, I can assure you that you will use those kids as an excuse when they come along. And the flip side of that is, if you served like crazy before you had kids, you're going to struggle with burnout when those kids do come. Because now you're adding children to the mix of your already busy, crazy life. Another piece of advice here, it's okay to say no. Don't fool yourself into thinking you're faithful because you're serving and you're serving and you're serving and you're doing and you're doing and you're doing. Sometimes the most faithful, godly thing you can do is to say no or just take a nap. Those are very faithful things to do sometimes. What about if you're single and you think you have to serve because you may have more time on your hands now than a married woman would and maybe you need to give more time uh, to, to this because I'm not going to have time if I ever get married. What about do you have an unbelieving family member that may be able that you may need to serve in some way to show faithfulness in that season. Maybe you need to pull back from something at church, even though you say, I'm single, I have all the time in the world. Maybe you need to concentrate on an unbelieving family member rather than accepting a new job at church. If you have young kids, the most faithful thing you can do, moms, is to care for them and teach them the things of the Lord. Make sure that is taken care of before taking on other ministries. Just had this conversation with a mother of young children in our church this week. I don't know how to balance this. What is, I want to be involved in the church. What does this look like? I said, you are involved. You're plenty involved. You need to just realize your primary ministry is to your children right now. And guess what? This season is not going to last for very long and you will then be able to move on to something else. But right now, right now, don't look forward to that. You serve where God has you, and that's minister to your children. You get the idea. I said it was no, in, in no, no particular order. These were all over the place. But you do understand these warnings, and somebody in here, somehow, one, one of them has hit you. Take those warnings. Take that advice. I want to share how I learned some of these lessons over the past few years. See, I love studying and teaching ladies the Word of God. And I'm now an empty nester. That's the season of life I'm in. All my children are gone. They're all out of the house. Um, it would seem then, I said to myself a few years ago, the most faithful thing I can do right now, now that I don't have to care for children at home, would be to faithfully and regularly teach the Bible to ladies. But I became convinced and convicted over the last few years that that's not necessarily correct. It may not be the season I'm in because I may fit the definition of an empty nester, but I have neither experienced the 
joys or sadness that is supposed to come with that label. And why not? Because of the season of life I'm really in, the one that trumps being an empty nester. I'm an only child of the one aging parent, a thousand miles away, six to eight states away, depending on which way you drive. My ailing father passed away two years ago, and now I gladly give that attention to my mom. But you add to that that I've got a husband, four adult children who live in three different states, eight grandchildren and one more on the way, hallelujah. You add to that the ministry of my local church and how I desire to be serving here. I became very overwhelmed, and I had to rethink my priorities. You know, Anna, you're old. Your kids are gone. Just start teaching ladies Bible study. I can't give that time to this now because of all the things I've just told you. Am I wrong in that? No, God taught me that I need to back up and look at where he has me and to live faithfully in my seasons of life now. Another warning for us, don't adopt this get through the season mentality because it is detrimental to our faithfulness as Christians and your season of life doesn't give you a pass or a sense of entitlement. In other words, hey, my kids are still young. When they're older, I'm going to be able to serve in the church and minister to others. And you're like, okay, Anna, you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. No, because you know the moms I'm talking about. You know the ones that are all into the church, and they're really struggling because they have small kids at home. They're the ones you need to say kindly, back up a little bit and concentrate on your children. Then you know those that are home with the children that are giving all their time at home, never, ever, ever serve in the church. And trust me, I know very few of you here, so I've been told nothing about you. So... Haven't been told to instruct you in any way. Don't know if, it, if, the, if the shoe fits. I don't know what to tell you. But maybe you're that mom young, of young children that is pulled back and doing nothing in the church. Maybe you need to step out in faith and do something. So don't sit there and say, well, when this season ends, I'm going to do this. Sometimes singles will say, you know, when I'm married, then I'll be able to do that. Um, I'm old. I have done my time. Don't fall into that. Us old folks, we need to keep going. We need to keep, and I say, I, look, I got, I got how many days left in my 50s right now? I hit the big 6-0 next week, so I can characterize myself as old because I am. And I'm telling you, us old folks, we don't need to sit back and say, let somebody younger do this. We need to keep working. We need to train the younger people to do it, but we need to keep working and uh, serving in the church. So guard against that mindset of this, I'm done with the season or get through the season mentality. I love what Paul Tripp and Tim Lane say in their book about relationships, how people change. That's their book. They say, make the most of every area in which God has placed you. Are you single, married, retired, parent, friend, child, employer, student, or grandparent? These are all callings and seasons of life, and you are to see them as opportunities to display the grace of Christ. Our tendency is to live with a get-through-the-season mentality. We say to ourselves, if I can just get through this busy season of life, then I'll be okay. This is an ungodly understanding of your current responsibilities and opportunities. So ladies, not only do we need to know what time it is, but now we're to point number two, Roman numeral two, and that is we need to know how much time is left. Jesus was always aware of the clock. He knew that he had limited time 
and he was intentional about the way he used it. His earthly ministry was only three years long. His entire life was about 33 years. He was fully God and fully man. However, he was not Superman. Don't think that he was. He had to rest, but he was never lazy. He spent time on people. He did not waste time on people, and there's a big difference in that. Christ had an ultimate goal to die for the sins of his people on the cross. And while he was alive, he accomplished everything he was supposed to do, but nothing else. Everything that was necessary, everything that was the will of his father is what he accomplished. Jesus was aware of the clock, and he knew how much time was left. Ephesians 5, 15, and 16 we are given the command to look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Or redeem the time, ladies. Make the best use of it. There's a limited amount of it. Know how much time is left. Psalm 31, 14, and 15, But I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hand. You see, our times are not in our hands. Know how much time you have left. And, and I understand that we don't know that exactly. We don't know the day we're going to die. But all things being equal, you do understand where you are in life. And, and I don't mean just older people. I mean, think about your kids. They're not going to be little forever. You're a mom. You've got young kids at home. You understand that your time of influencing your children is shorter than you think. We parents, and moms especially, get caught up in the mundane and the minutia of life. We get in ruts, we get stuck living in survival mode, and we just lose our effectiveness. We convince ourselves that it's going to be easier in a few months when the kids are on a better sleeping schedule, or we're going to get into a better routine of family devotions then. Yes, we will. As soon as we get on this, then we're going to start family devotions I will be at church more, don't you worry. When our kids get a little bigger and when they sleep better, you'll see us there regularly. Don't kid yourself, ladies. You have limited time to influence them. Don't lose track of it. It's shorter than you think. Older people don't always know when to surrender the car keys, and they may be miffed like Ed's mother was when the keys were taken away from her. She went to her grave with dementia, but never forgot to be mad at whoever took her car keys away. Let me tell you, it's hard to get old. It's hard to have to say things to older people. Be preparing for that now. Be aware. So, too, it can be hard for someone who has served faithfully for many years in the church. Maybe you're not the one that says, I've done my time, I'm out of here. Maybe you're the one hanging on, and you are not going to let go to that, of that job in the church. No, sir, I'm not letting that young whippersnapper come in here and take this job. I've done it for 30 years, and I've done it well, and I'm keeping on doing it. Ladies, know what time it is. Train the younger women. Older women, teach the younger women. Serve joyfully, but move over and let them come and learn and be trained by you to do that job and then get out of the way. Single people, amazingly enough, usually live like single people, and that's a good thing. 
But when they get married, some of them still live like single people. They have to learn to prefer one another uh, and another person above themselves. Your service in the church and to others may have to be adjusted as your season in life has been adjusted. Your time living as a single person is done. I know some of you are engaged. We have a lot of those people at North Shore this particular season. It's the season of engagements, let me tell you. What's going to happen? You're not going to live your life like you did as a single person. You're going to be married now, and you're going to have to change the way you do things. Your service in the church or in life in that station will have to be adjusted. But, ladies, but in all of this flux, in all of this change, every time something changes in our lives, take heart Look at Roman numeral three, that we can know the one who holds your time in his hand. Let's talk about actual seasons, the four seasons. In this part of the Northeast, we actually do experience a little bit of each one of them, and it's wonderful. Spring is not as nice as I would like it to be for as long, but we get it. We get a little bit, and it's beautiful Some of you dread, you know, you asked the, the what would you rather question. Some of you dread the heat of the summer. You don't have air conditioning. You feel like you're smothering in the humidity. Some of you have got bad allergies, so you are really relieved when the flowers and trees have bloomed in the spring and it's done. Some of you are petrified to drive in the ice and the snow. Your blood is thin. You pray for a mild, short winter. Then the fall. How could you not like fall? Come on. I, unless you just have some aversion to all things pumpkin, you got to love fall. But maybe you have something against all things pumpkin. The point, ladies, is the changing of the seasons. Think about them. The seasons themselves scream the faithfulness of God. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest. Sun, moon, and stars in their courses above. Join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. So remember, just as he holds the seasons, actual seasons in his hand and the weather, he holds the seasons of our lives in his hand. Ultimately, our times are in his hands and he is faithful and we must trust him. Jeremiah 31.3, I've loved you with an everlasting love, therefore I've continued my faithfulness to you. Deuteronomy 7.9, know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. The faithful God. We take comfort in the fact that God is immutable. His nature is. His character, his attributes do not change and cannot change. We are all over the place. Malachi 3, 6, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In the ever-changing seasons of our lives, ladies, this should give us great comfort and hope. Cling to the anchor, cling to the rock of ages, the one who never changes. If Jesus is not your Lord and Savior today, I plead with you to cry out to him for forgiveness of your sins. I plead with you to repent and to cling to him. See, we tend to forget that God's faithfulness has a negative slant. Usually when we say the faithfulness of God, it's all positive and it's, it's the blessings and the faithfulness he's shown to us and it's all good. But understand, because God does not change, his character does not change, his faithfulness means he also will be faithful in his judgment and wrath. 
So today, if you don't know the Lord, the faithfulness of God is not a pleasant thing for you. He also is faithful in his wrath and judgment. You may try to be a loyal friend or a committed wife or an older person finding your area of service. That's not your problem today. Your biggest problem is you need Jesus because otherwise you're going to hell and you will suffer eternity because of the faithfulness of God's wrath. So look to Christ if you do not know him, I beg of you. Ladies, if you know him and you've experienced his faithfulness, live in the glorious grace of that gospel. Rest in him, trust him this day to give you faithfulness and joy and wisdom in every season of your life, those ever-changing seasons. We need the Lord. We need him for our salvation, and if we are saved, we need him to carry us through. Aren't you thankful that we have a faithful God who holds all of our seasons, our lives in his hands? Let's pray. Father, thank you for these dear ladies' attentiveness and for the reminders in your word of your goodness and faithfulness to us and the reminders of how we need to be faithful throughout the seasons of our lives. Help us to apply. Help us to understand. Help us to see areas that we may not even see yet where we need to change and serve better and love better. In Jesus' name, amen.